good to see everybody tonight. I want to ask you a question before we read our text. Are you ready for the next? Now, in case you didn't catch that, let me ask that question again. Are you ready for the next? Somebody might be like, the next what? Well, just hang on, and we're going to find out. We're going to talk about the next uh, tonight in this message. Joel chapter 2, Old Testament, two passages, Joel chapter 2 and Haggai chapter 2. So turn there. I want to thank Pastor Daniel for the opportunity and privilege to minister the word tonight. Pastor Daniel, Pastor Karen, and Daniel Jr. are in Missouri, and they send their greetings. All right, Joel chapter 2. Everybody there? Look at verse 23, and we'll read through 26. This is an encouragement from the Lord for us tonight. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Verse 24, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Verse 25, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, come on, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you. Verse 26. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Hallelujah. Haggai chapter 2. In verse 9. Haggai chapter 2 verse 9 says this, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here tonight. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here to set a fire down in us, Lord, to cause us to burn brighter, Lord God, to cause us to seek you like never before. So Holy Spirit, as you are here and your plan and your will is for us to encounter God, greater than we ever have, to be ready for the next that comes our way, then, Lord, we just ask that you would have your way tonight in this service and in our lives, and we give you praise in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. The name of my message tonight, the title of my message tonight is, Are You Ready for the Next? Now, as I may or may not have mentioned before, I really enjoy the game of basketball. I played it in junior high, I played it in high school, I played it in college, I've coached it before. Every March, my family has to endure me thoroughly enjoying the college national championship tournament, otherwise known as March Madness. I am a basketball fan, fanatic, that's what fan is short for, fanatic. I love the game. I love to play it indoor, outdoor, doesn't matter. Uh, if there's a game going, I'm going to do everything I can. Uh, to get in it, and sometimes I surprise people, especially some of these younger guys. At age 53, I get out there. You know, when the table, when we get together, our young adult group gets together at Wonderland Park, they got full-court outdoor basketball, and uh, I'm out there running up and down the court with them. Now, I don't run as fast as I used to, 
And when I played in high school and I played in college, I was a little bit lighter than I am right now. So my lift is not as, as great as it used to be, but I still love the game and I still love to play it. Whenever, you know, there's, there's organized basketball, like I said, junior high, high school, college. But there's also pickup basketball, kind of like what we do at the park. And if you go to a gym or you go to an outdoor court and there's a game going on, there's an unwritten rule about pickup basketball that kind of goes like this. Whatever team, whether it's four on four or five on five, whatever team is winning, as long as they win, they stay on the court. And then it's up to everybody else to get a team together to try to get out there and win and get their turn to stay on the court. And the way you know who has the next game, because, you know, if you're on the winning team, you could be playing three, four, five, six games in a row, and you better be in good shape. But the way you know who the next team is, is the next team or the next person has next. You know, it's like if you show up at the gym or you show up at the, at the court outside and, and there's a game going on and there's people standing on the sidelines waiting, and you're like, who's got next? And whoever the person was that didn't get picked or, you know, usually you shoot in the first five or four, depending on how many you have, the first five people that make a free throw, that's the team. Next five make a team. And those two teams play. And if there's two or three people, then those three people got next. And it's up to them to recruit some other people to be on their team. So when you show up, if the game's already going on, you, you want to find out who's got next. Because you want to make sure if, if, they, if they don't have enough players, then, man, I'm with you. I'm on your team. And, you know, sometimes there was always the in, in, invariable time that, There'd be somebody that, you know, didn't have a lot of skill. And they didn't make the free throws to be on the first two teams out there. And so that person had next. And it's kind of like, oh, they got next. And you didn't necessarily have too many people that were so willing to say, you know, I'll wait. You got next. That's great. I'll wait out. I didn't care who had next because my philosophy was like this. If the person who had next needed a player and maybe they weren't as skilled as I was, that's okay, because that meant probably I was going to get the ball, and I'd get a chance to shoot. And if they were better than me, then, man, I had a greater chance of being on the winning team and staying on the court longer. So for me, I didn't really care who had next. I was just glad somebody did. And if I could get on that team and I could be the next team out there, then that's what, I was, that's what I'd be looking for. All right? When the, when the women's professional basketball team, the WNBA, finally got their chance to, to have a professional league and, and the girls got a chance out, coming out of college, ladies got a chance coming out of college to not have to go overseas and play professionally overseas, they a big advertising push went on during the NBA season. Uh, it was WNBA, we got next, meaning we're up next. We're the next thing coming. I mean, you know, get ready because these guys, the NBA that's been around for a long time, that they're good, but we got next. We're up next. And I will tell you, having played basketball and coached basketball, the most fundamentally sound team basketball that is played is played by the ladies. It just really is. It really is. And, and in fact, I, 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 the Seattle Storm won the WNBA championship this year. I told you, I love basketball. Okay? I love basketball. Okay? Now, the idea or concept of next for the most part, it's a good thing. I mean, there's an anticipation about what is coming. You know, there's, there's something to look forward to, especially in this basketball theme again. If the team out there has been just wiping the court with all these other teams and nobody's, you know, nobody's got a team together yet that can get them off the court and if some guys show up or you start recruiting from some of the losing teams, you know, I got next, you're on my team. I got next, you're with me. Let's run. Let's run this thing. And then it's like anticipation. Hey, you, you might be winning now, but look out. We're coming. Okay, look out. The next is about to hit the court, and your reign of being the champion of the court, you know, your reign is over because we're coming. We're next. 
And God understands the concept of next. Everything about God is progressive. Hallelujah. He's always moving forward. He's always building. He's always outdoing himself. And he's always surprising us. I shared an early morning prayer. I just shared a testimony this week at early morning prayer. Um, I, I got up Monday morning, woke up Monday morning, and I just had, uh, I just felt a, a lot of encouragement from the Lord in my spirit when I woke up. And when I got here, and, and we had just the music on, and people were just praying, and I, I found myself up here in front of the cross by this speaker, and I was just overwhelmed by the love of God, how much He loved me, how much He cared for me. And it was surprising that I would feel that because I wasn't necessarily, you know, you come to prayer and you come to prayer pr to pray for people. You come to early morning prayer to pray for Dr. Morocco and our pastoral staff and all our extensions. Pray for the United States and pray, you know, church, in case you didn't know and you weren't aware, please be in prayer for, for what's going on with the, our next Supreme Court judge. Okay, please be, please be in prayer for that situation. The enemy is fighting really hard uh, to, uh, to stop that appointment, I believe. But, you know, we're, we come to early morning prayer to do all kind of praying, but sometimes I think we're not anticipating that God wants to really minister to us. So he surprised me that morning, and I just was overwhelmed by his love. As it turned out, Monday turned out to be a pretty, just a hectic day, kind of a challenging day, and I needed that reminder that morning to help sustain me as I went through that day on Monday. So God's, God understands the concept of next. If you look at the life of Jesus and the, the ministry of Jesus, his ministry, uh, his miracle ministry began with something that was seemingly insignificant. You know, he was at a wedding, and they ran out of wine, and he did a miracle. And it seemed like that was kind of insignificant or really kind of a small thing. There was, it wasn't a life or death situation. But his ministry of miracles quickly began to progress, and it moved from changing water into wine to opening blind eyes, to making the lame walk to casting out demons and feeding the multitudes. Kind of like what Haggai said. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So if God's in the next and he's progressive, and it says there we take that promise that the glory of the latter will be greater than the former, what's the former for you and I? Everything contained in here. And can I tell you, everything contained in here in these pages is amazing. I mean, I mean, the miracles of God, the way God has, has designed everything. Nothing is, he surprises us with his presence and, and his love and his reminder of his love. But nothing surprises God. He's got a great plan. And he's laid it out in here. And his goal has been and always will be for providing you and I with information on how we can get from where we are, which was separated from him, lost, in need of a Savior, dying spiritually, headed to someplace we don't want to go, to now all of a sudden because of the promises contained in here, the former that we, that we see portrayed in these pages in this word, we now have access to his throne, we have now access to his presence, we are made right because of what Jesus, right in his sight because of what Jesus did. And yet Haggai is telling us that the latter, the next that's coming our way is even greater than the former. Man, that tells me we got something to look forward to. We got something to look forward to. In fact, I have a prophetic message. This message tonight is a prophetic message for all who would listen. Church, there is a next. 
the next of God, and it's on its way for you and I tonight. I'm not sure what everybody in this place is going through. I'm not sure of all the personal circumstances and things and struggles and battles or victories that you might be in the midst of right now. But can I tell you, God has a next for you and I. God has a next for, for here. We're, we, we, it's like, man, I can't wait to get in the game, God, because I got next. God, you got next. And that next you got for me, I can't wait to step into and to begin to experience. There is a next wave of the spirit of salvation coming church so those of you tonight that you've been believing and saying God can't is, is it possible for my son my daughter my husband my wife my cousin my uncle my grandpa is it possible for them to get saved absolutely it's possible and God's got a next for you and a next for them and it's a great wave of the spirit of salvation that's going to come upon the land hallelujah there's a next great revival worldwide that is and will continue to take place. It's no small thing that there are, starting tomorrow, in 50 states and on hundreds of college campuses, that Christians or believers are going to be gathered together on the same days, during the same times, doing the same thing. It's because there's a next coming that God has. Church, there's a next great breakout of miracles coming as the church continues to walk in holiness and obedience before the Lord. God knows the miracle that you need. In fact, not only does he know the miracle that you need, he's already provided for it. It's already been paid for. God doesn't have to figure out how he's going to do it. It's already, been, it's already been paid for. So all we got to do is say, God, you got a next for me, a next wave of miracles as I walk in holiness and obedience before you. There's a next great army of soul winners and Holy Spirit anointed preachers that are rising up in this place and across the land. There's a next great move of the Spirit of God as God's people kneel and bow in prayer before His face and rise up to stand in the authority that comes from knowing our God. Amen? There is a next, church. Are you ready? Are we ready for it? See, Jesus did not know the word impossible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Impossible was not a word found in Jesus' vocabulary that he lived by. See, we may look and we may see impossible conditions. We may see impossible situations, darkness, confusion, hopelessness, perversion, corruption. Man, that all sounds impossible. Jesus looks at the same things, and you know what he sees? He sees a perfect opportunity, church, for a miracle, a perfect backdrop for a display of his glory in every one of those situations. Many times, what looks like a breakdown is just a setup for a breakthrough. I think I need to say that again. Many times, what looks like a, is a breakdown is just a setup for a breakthrough of the power and the miracle-working power of God. I mean, you look at Jesus' first miracle, no wine at a wedding. I mean, it was embarrassing. The reputation of, of, of the family was at stake. The people wanted wine. There was no more wine in their cups. There was no more wine in the dispensers. There was no more wine in, wine in the kitchen. That represents there was a need, there was a desire, and it could have been a potentially embarrassing situation. But Jesus steps in on the case and says, I got this. I got this. Jesus takes the case and he, he turns what could be, have been an embarrassing, difficult situation into a miracle. Yeah. 
that is recorded in Scripture for us. Or what about in Mark chapter 5, verse 23? Uh, That's the case of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, whose little girl was at the point of death. And, and Jesus gets word, so Jesus is heading to Jairus' home to heal her. And all of a sudden, as they're on their way, Jesus performs another miracle. And they continue on, and then a messenger interrupts them and says, you know, don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. Now the stage is set for something to happen. For Jairus, there may have been guilt. He may have been feeling, why, why didn't I go find Jesus sooner? Why did I let my pride stand in the way? Why I should have listened to my wife when she said, go find that teacher. Go find that one named Jesus. There's also grief. My baby girl's dead. She was only, only 12 years old and now she's dead. And then I imagine there was probably a little bit of anger. We might have made it. We might have made it on time if that woman hadn't stopped Jesus. And now she's healed and my daughter's dead. Jairus was probably thinking, he was, Jesus was my last hope. He might have even thought, you know, I heard how he turned water into wine and how he healed the nobleman's son and he, how he set the demoniac free. But my daughter is not sick. She's not demonized. She's dead. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, his next words penetrate Jairus' thoughts. He says, fear not, only believe. Fear not, only believe. I don't know who that's for tonight. But some of you are facing some things and you're like, God, I don't understand. Man, it just seems like there's a delay. Maybe you're getting a little angry. Maybe you're getting frustrated. Maybe there's some guilt. Maybe there's some grief going on. The same words that Jesus spoke to to Jairus, he wants to speak to you tonight. Fear not. Only believe. So they get there and the house is filled with mourning, weeping and wailing. Death is hanging in the air. See, in situations like that, man sees darkness, hopelessness, grief, sorrow, pain but Jesus sees it a little bit different he sees the perfect backdrop for a manifestation of the glory of God as he kicks out all those mourners and people that are crying and he goes in and he says to her little girl I say to you arise and she rises up from the dead amen now you might think When you look at Scripture, and unfortunately there are some people that do think this way. That, well, you know, Scripture records all the things that Jesus did. And, you know, so that was seeing Jesus at his best. Surely we've seen the greatest manifestation of his power and his glory. It's recorded in Scripture. But can I tell you that? Tell you something tonight? He's bigger than that. The best is yet to come. And so I ask you again, are you ready for the next that God has for you and I? Let's continue on looking at some of the examples from Jesus. One day news came to Jesus, and it says, the one that you love is sick. Lazarus, you should go to him. So when he, by the time he got to Lazarus' house, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, not four seconds, not four minutes, not four hours. He'd been dead for four days. The stone had been rolled in front of the tomb. The stone being rolled in front of the tomb speaks of finality, speaks of the end. It's over. It's beyond help. The condition is incurable. The problem is irreversible because, you know, you don't come back from death. You don't come back from a situation like that. And then it was like, if you'd only come earlier, you could have healed him. We believe you would have kept him from dying, Jesus, but now it's over. Isn't it amazing how we limit God sometimes? I mean, in our thinking, in our, 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 our short finite mind we limit the infinite God who can do whatever he wants anytime he wants any way he wants to anybody he wants 
We say to God, you know, God, you can do this, but not that. I don't see, you know, you did that, God, but I don't see how you can do this. You have the power to stop something from happening, but you can't turn it around. You can't reverse the situation. But you know what? That thinking like that is incorrect thinking. It's just plain wrong thinking because this whole book is full of examples of the turnaround. This whole book is full of the promises that says that it's not over till God says it's over. It's not hopeless because there's a God on the throne. There's a Savior named Jesus. Amen? But they said, Jesus, you're too late. So Jesus says to him, listen, take away this stone. Then he hollers, Lazarus, come forth. I believe he said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had just said, come forth, there would have been a whole bunch of people that had been dead that would have come walking out of their tombs. They'd have been coming up, you know, like every one of those movies that we probably shouldn't have watched that, you know, has the people coming up out of the ground. If Jesus wouldn't have said, Lazarus, come forth, he was very specific in this case. And then he says to his followers, loose him and let him go. A miracle took place because Jesus was there to give the next in that situation. Now, if we look at society today, we can see that it looks like our society is out of control. America is in a mess. God bless America. Listen, I am, I am glad that, of our, that I live in the nation that I live in. I'm glad that I'm alive in the time that I'm alive. I'm glad to see what God is doing. I'm glad to see the remnant that God has raised up. I'm glad to see the revival that's taking place across this land. But as a whole, our nation is in a little bit of a mess. Every day we continue to hear uh, how God is being rejected, how not only has he, has he been removed from schools where we used to pray and, and we used to quote the, the scriptures and we used to have the Ten Commandments up on the walls, but he's not only has, was it removed, but now it's continued to reject. You know, I thank God for, for the organization that the, and the event that the Assemblies of God puts together. It's not just the Assemblies of God event, but, I, but I, I'm familiar with it. It's called See You at the Pole. It took place today. Minister David came in the office uh, today and he was sharing that he went to Wasilla High School to be there with all those students from Wasilla High School that wanted to gather around the flagpole this morning before school started and pray for their school. And you know what he said? He said, I couldn't be more prouder of our young people. He said, especially a young man by the name of Elisha Martin. Because he said that people, the kids were going around and they were saying prayers and telling where they're from and what church. He said when it got to Elisha, he said he lifted his hands, closed his eyes, and let it rip. He just prayed the glory down right there on, the, on Wasilla campus by the flagpole. All right? So we, we see things that are, we see sparks of what God is doing, and we know that God is up to something. But we also see how that, that our, our nation needs God. Our nation needs to return back to God. Christmas has become a, a time of parades. In fact, we don't even call it Christmas anymore. And it, it's a time of celebration, and Christ is completely left out. Even the message of the gospel, the truth from the word, something that you could always count on, even if you weren't living right. I mean, I mean years ago, and, and again, I'm 53, so, so I've been around a little while. Maybe not as long as some, but longer than a lot that are here. And, and years ago, even if you didn't know, even if you weren't living for God, you could count on the fact that there was a church on the corner that preached the truth of the gospel. And there was a pastor or, or a minister that if you were in trouble, you knew they would, they would at least come and pray with some power and with some authority. But we're even seeing in, in, in the, the church world today that the truth of the word is being watered down. The message is getting diluted and it's being changed. In fact, Jeremiah talked about a similar time in Israel's history that, you know, Scripture really is true when it says there's nothing new 
under the sun. It just comes back around. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? And another scripture, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So when you think about all that and you read scriptures like that and you understand the context of those scriptures, that it was in a, a rough time in, in Israel's history. They had turned from God. They were worshiping other idols and other gods and they were allowing sin and things to, to just run rampant in the nation and God sent the prophets to tell them and warn them of what was going on. And we can look around and see similar situations like that in our nation. We can see and hear what's happening in the world not just our nation, and we can come to the belief that it's really bad out there. And we can get depressed, and we can choose to go into hiding, and we can choose to cover our heads and say it's hopeless, it's all, everything's so perverse, it's all so corrupt, and it's all so wicked. Or, church, can I tell you tonight, we can choose to look into the Word of God and see that our best days are ahead of us. We haven't seen anything yet. God is just getting wound up. In fact, this illustration is not original, but I love it and it applies. This illustration says there's a clock in the spirit, God's time clock, if you will. Now, staying with the basketball theme, the time clock for a basketball game starts and it counts down to the end, to the final buzzer. But you know what? God's time clock isn't, is, is counting up, not counting down. It's counting forward, not counting backwards. It's counting forward to a great event. It's counting forward to the great next that's coming. And that ultimate great next is when Jesus Christ himself, that it says the Bible says that there'll be the voice of the archangel, there'll be the trump of God, and Jesus will step out of heaven, and he'll appear in the clouds, and those that, are, those that were dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain, Paul says, we will go up in the air and join him, and so we will forever be with the Lord. That's what God's clock is counting up to, that great event. And we can look at how bad the world is or we can say, oh, woe is me. God, would you hurry up? Or we can say, you know, it is bad, but God, you're greater. It is rough out there, but God, your promises are yes and amen. It is difficult, but God, when, when it's a difficult time, that's when you do your best work. When somebody is willing to grab hold of your next, grab hold of your next promise, grab hold of your next be, uh, belief that what God said will come to pass. So church, don't get discouraged. Don't get sidetracked by circumstances. See, the things that God's people have faced before, they've looked pretty hopeless and impossible. When the children, uh, when Pharaoh said, kill all the children to try to keep God's promise from being fulfilled, even though he didn't necessarily know that's what he was doing. Satan was behind that. When that was going on, when the Israel was being held captive and, excuse me, were serving as slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh said, let's kill all the, all the, the male boys because we don't want these, this nation to continue to grow. You know what God did? God didn't look at that and go, I don't know what I'm going to do. God already had a plan. And the plan was that the person that was going to be the deliverer of God's people would be raised by Pharaoh and in Pharaoh's house so he would know the ins and outs of the kingdom and know exactly what needed to happen when the next came, when the time was right. When the children of Israel were trapped at the Red Sea, the Egyptian army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, looked hopeless, but God turned the Red Sea into a highway. 
See, we can see the evil and the wickedness and the perversion in this world. We see it, but that's not the time to turn off the switch of faith. We don't need to turn off the switch of faith when we see how dark it is and when we see how big, how bad it is. We need to remember and realize our God is up to something big. He is saving the best for last. So I say tonight, and I propose tonight to you, let the skeptics paint the darkest, saddest, most perverse and corrupt picture of hopelessness and despair. Because all you got to do is watch the news and you'll hear what I just laid out. All you got to do is, is, is go on Facebook. I mean, I mean really, sometimes, sometimes Facebook is an amazing way to spread the gospel message. But other times it's just nothing but a bunch of depression and, 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 and just heavy weight that the, God says he wants us to lay aside. It all, it's all a matter of what we choose to focus on. It's all a matter of what we choose to think about. God is up to something big, as I said. And the skeptics may paint that it's so bad. The skeptics may say that it's, it, 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 you know, sin, sin is, it, it can't get any worse. And maybe it can't get any worse. But you know what I want to tell you tonight? Whatever the situation is, God will turn it into a backdrop for the greatest display of his glory this world has ever seen. If we're willing to say, God... I want next. God, I want next. You got next, God. I want to be on your team. You got next, God, so I want to, I, I'm on God's team, and we got next. Amen? Amen. Brother Toby, would you come back to the keyboard for me, please? So here's the thing for us tonight. Are we ready for the next that God has? If we say yes, then there's something we're going to have to do. If we say yes, I'll give you two last scriptures tonight to illustrate what I mean. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. And then a second scripture. And just hang with me, because I'll make it plain. Judges chapter 15, verse 15, speaking of Samson. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed 1,000 Philistines with it. As I close tonight, I want to use these two scriptures to accurately relate to you what we have to do in order to walk and flow and move and minister in the next of God. We have to take action, church. We can shout hallelujah, there's a next. We can worship, lift our hands and say, there is a next. We can say amen, pastor, that's a great word. There is a next. I believe there's a next. But in order for us to step into the next, in order for us to be a part of God's next, in order for us to move and flow in what God has that's the next, we got to take action. We can't just sit back and applaud and say, man, that's great. I'm so glad God's doing something. We need to, it's kind of like when the coach, when you're sitting on the bench, if you're not a starter, and the coach looks down the bench, and he's looking for somebody, and he might say, Haggerty, you're next. Get in there. I can't say, oh, I'm so glad there's a next, but you know, God, I, I'm, I, you know, coach, I'm just, I'm just so thankful that there's a game going on, and you know, we might have a chance to win. No, it's like, Haggerty, you're next. Man, I'm up, and that warm-up's coming off, and I'm going, coach, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to play? Boy, who am I guarding? And I, man, I'm going to the scorer's table. I'm next. Man, I get to get in the game. Man, I get to, this is what I practiced for. This is what I went and ran my, my, my brains out at practice for. This is what I did those drills over and over and over for, to be ready when the coach says, next, you're in, you're up. And the same thing's true for you and I, church. Why do we do the things we do? Why are we disciplined or should be disciplined in our Bible reading, in our prayer, in our spending time with God? 
you know, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm on a roll now, so look out. I'm teaching, I'm teaching King School of Ministry about prayer. One of the things we're focusing on this month is prayer. And prayer is communication. And Christianity is not some religion. Christianity is a relationship. God intends to have a relationship with you and I. And there's no way to have a relationship with somebody if you never speak to them. You might say, you know, I got the same last name, but I haven't spoke to, to my cousin or my brother or my wife in months. Well, guess what? I would question where the relationship is at, what the status of that relationship would be. And the same thing's true for you and I in our relationship with God. We can claim the name of Jesus. We can claim the name of King's Chapel. We can say we're part of KC. Isn't it great that we're building up there on the hill? But if we never spend time with God, if we never talk to Him, if we never let Him speak to us through His Word, if we never speak back to Him through prayer and worship, if there's not see, communication, let me slow down, Communication is two-way. Effective communication is two-way. That's why you that's why I love when you guys say amen and that's good and come on, because there's two-way communication going on. And effect, things are being effective. And the same thing's true. Listen, if we're gonna be part of God's next, we can't sit sit on the bench and say, Well, I'm never gonna get in this game. And so therefore there's no point. I just, you know, if you don't show up to practice, you're not ever gonna get in the game. And there's no coach around that's gonna put somebody in the game. It doesn't matter if you're losing by 100 points. If you don't show up for practice, coach figures you're not that committed. He's not going to put you in. But so, so when we do the things we're supposed to do that nobody sees, we're at prayer. We're at worship. We're, we, worship means something to us. Oh, <laughs> worship is more than just something we do on Sunday morning. And it's more than just a, yeah, you know, I, I like that. How do you know? Uh, come on. How do you know when you're not fully engaged in worship? When after about the second line of the second song, you're checking your watch and you're checking your phone. I'm talking to somebody now. You're checking to see what the person behind you is doing instead of, instead of just being all in. See, listen, the Bible says Jesus told the woman at the well, there is coming a time, in fact, it is here now, that true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Prior to that, he said, listen, you worship, because she said, she was Samaritan, and she said, you Jews say you got to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. We worship in the mountains. Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. But he didn't say, he didn't say that one of those was better. He said, but there's a better alternative, and that's to worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. Because when you worship what you don't know, you're just going through the motions. Now, this is for somebody, because it's not in my notes. When you just when you worship what you don't know, oh, I like that song. I like that song Brother Toby did tonight. You know, freedom. Oh wait, man, I forgot. I forgot to pick up the and, and we just get so distracted. Then guess what? We're worshiping what we don't know. We worshiping what we don't know. And when we were and when Jesus said we Jews, we worship what we do know. That's our tradition. We know the rules. We know the sac you know, because Jewish worship was sacrifice. You bring this animal and you do it, oh, it's six o'clock, we gotta do this now. And and check that off. And Jesus said, No, no. There's coming a day, and in fact, it's here now. If we're going to worship God, you're going to be people that worship in spirit and in truth. That's where you say, Lord, I don't know everything about you, but what I do know is you are amazing. You have saved me. You have set me free. You have delivered me. And I'm going to worship. So if we're going to experience the next of God, we got we to put some 
action to our words. Amen? That's what these two did in these passages that I, I read to you. Look again, 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Elisha wanted a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah. He vocalized it. He wished for it. He had dreamed about it. And it was God's next for him and for the people of God. I think it's even safe to say that it was God's plan for Elisha to have a double portion of Elijah's anointing. But nothing was ever going to happen until Elisha put some action behind his wishes and his dreams. Same with Samson. Judges 15, 15. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. He reached down and grabbed what was within his reach. And he picked it up and he got busy taking care of the enemy. There was action. There's, there's more examples in scripture. When they were going to cross, when Joshua was going to lead him into the promised land. He told the, the priest, you go down to the water's edge and you step into the water. They could have gone down to the bank and stood there with the water right at their feet, but nothing was going to happen. But the moment they stepped into the water, the moment they put some action to their faith, the waters parted and they crossed over into the promised land. Listen, church, we can say we want the next of God until we're blue in the face. We can come to church and we can get half-heartedly involved in worship and, 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 and it seemed like everything was good. But what God is looking for is people that will say, God, you've got a next for me and you've given me an indication of what that next is. So I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to put some, faith, some action to my faith and I'm going to do what needs to be done on my part to step into the next that you have. The next that God has, stand with me all across this place. The next that God has for you and for I, for this church, isn't going to happen if we just wish for it, if we just talk about it, if we dream about it. We have to put feet to our faith. And can I tell you tonight, church, in many ways we are ahead of the game as a, in comparison to other bodies of believers. There is always things going on here. Their parking lot is full every night of the week with cars because there's things happening, people putting their faith into action. And I commend you on that. But can I also just encourage you to not get weary in well-doing? Listen, the, listen, the, the, the slab is poured. The foundation is done. But we, ain't, we, we just scratched the surface. We just scratched the surface. There's more stuff that's got to happen. The next that's got to happen is on that hill isn't going to happen unless there's action taken on, on the part of the people that are part of that next, you and I. It's time to get moving, church. It's time to begin to say, Lord, it's not just a dream anymore. Lord, it's not, I'm going to find, God, God, you gave me that dream. I'm going to find a way to fulfill it. Lord, I'm going to begin to walk it out. I'm going to begin to put action to my faith. It's time to get moving. And when we do, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around us, God will turn it into a backdrop for the greatest display of his glory this world has ever seen. Amen? Amen. So I want to, before I, before I give an appeal to get saved tonight, and that's another thing. I've heard people, I've heard some talk going on, why we got to call it saved? Let's call it something else. No, it's saved. It's saved. <laughs> I need it saved, church. If you're honest with yourself, you need it saved. 
We didn't need somebody to just say, well, it'll be all right. Let's just put a little Band-Aid on it. Let's just, let's just get you a little blanket. Let's just get you something to make you a little comfortable. No, you needed a Savior. I needed a Savior. The world needed a Savior. And that's why Jesus came, to save us. And it's time for the church of the living God to let the enemies of the cross know they've been on the court too long. They've been on the court winning too long. We God's got next, and I'm part of God's team. And we're coming, enemy, and we're going to get you off that court, and we're not ever going to give up. We're not ever going to quit. We're going to win because God's got next. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, if you're here tonight, and you're like, that was great, but I don't really understand all that. Because maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you thought that, that just coming to church was enough on Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or once a week was enough. And, you know, that was good enough and that kind of had you covered. But maybe something I said or something the Holy Spirit has said through this message has pricked your heart, challenged your heart that there's more. That there is a next for you. And that next is salvation. That next is recommitment, rededication of your life. And so we don't want to close the service tonight without giving you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time or to recommit your life to Him or to make sure that in your heart you know that you're right with the Lord. So would you bow your heads all across this place? And if you're here tonight and you need, you're in one of those three categories, you need to get saved, you need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you need to repent of your sins for the first time, you've never done that before in your life or you've, you've served the Lord, or you maybe got saved one time before, but you know in your heart you're not saved now. You're, your life is not right with the Lord now. Or you just want to be sure of your salvation tonight. There's been some doubt that's come from the enemy, and you just want to be sure. If that's you tonight, would you lift your hand all across this place so I can pray for you? Would you lift your hand? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, church, let's all pray this together. Let's pray this together tonight. You repeat after me. You're just reaffirming your salvation. I had one person say, you know, y'all do that every service. Does everybody have to get saved all over again? No, it's just a reaffirmation, just reaffirming our, our salvation and our commitment and our surrender to the Lord. But if you need to pray it for the first time or you need to recommit your life, pray this prayer with us out loud. Dear Jesus. Thank you for loving me enough to die on the cross for my sins. You were perfect. You were sinless. And I needed a Savior. And you said, I'll be that Savior. And you came and you gave your life for me. So thank you, Lord, that as I repent of my sins, and ask your forgiveness that tonight I'm saved. I'm your servant. I'm your follower. I'm a believer tonight. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and setting me free. In your name, amen. Church, are you ready for God's next? It's our turn. It's our time. Amen? Let me... Let me pray for you and bless you tonight as you leave this place.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, for your people tonight, God, I pray that you would cause your face to shine upon them, that you would lift up your countenance towards your people tonight, that you would bless them and give them perfect peace. And we thank you for that, Lord God, that you're with us everywhere we go. And Lord, we don't want to miss your next. So we want to be ready. We want to be prepared so that when you call our name, we step into the next and we see great victories. Bless your people tonight, Lord, and we give you praise in your name. Amen.